Lord God, as we open up your uh, word today and we take a look at the things that you have for us, I pray, God, that we would have uh, receptive hearts. Every time your Bible is opened, uh, we need to pay attention. Um, You literally could transform our entire lives by the things that we talk about tonight. Uh, If only we would humble ourselves and just be very submissive to your word. I pray you'd give me the right words to say. Um, The topic tonight is is very, very important. Uh, Just as important as the past two weeks that we've been talking about how to have uh, biblical relationships in the dating realm and doing it your way, doing it biblically, which is not easy to do. So I pray that you give us courage and you give us wisdom, especially as we look at your word and we consider what you have to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. Make a beeline to that place. It's right next to 2 Corinthians. In case you're wondering where it was at. Uh, New Testament. In case you didn't know. Oh, I forgot my paper. Okay. This lazy dude needs a paper. Sorry. Isaac, they're over there. <laughs> no, they're not. Okay. So, we're going to get to 1 Corinthians 6 here in a minute. Um, but just to do a little bit of review, and I'll just do this quickly, because I, I want to make sure we have enough time to talk about this topic tonight. So, in review, we've been talking about the triangle of relationships. The very attractive, handsome fellow on the left-hand side, I've been told, is me. Um, and then you have the question mark, which is pretty much anybody else that I might have a relationship with. And the reality behind this picture is that if I have the desire to go close with God, then I have a choice to make because that person may or may not want to have a relationship with God. And so if I choose to put my relationship with God where it needs to be as the top priority in my life and the other person does not, then that means I'm going to grow farther and farther away from them. Uh, But if, in fact, they do want to fall in love with God, just the same as I do, then as I grow closer to God, then I will be closer to them as well. And so as a born-again believer, this is why the most important friendships that you should have are the people that you have things in common with, the people that you should be going to church with. And I hate to say that the fact that you can go to church and you may not have things in common with the people around you, but born-again believers, theoretically, should be your closest friends if you are born again. And so if you find yourself in a situation where you, have, you are closer in your friendships and even in the things you're attracted to when it comes to the opposite sex in a dating relationship and they look more like the world than they do like Jesus Christ, well, then your priorities are going to be messed up. So you have to choose which person are you going to be? What kind of person do you want to be? What kind of a man or a woman do you want to be? Because whatever you're looking for, you will find. And I'm telling you that if you look for the worldly things, you will find the worldly things and you will not be satisfied. It will leave you very, very empty. And uh, just as an example, how many of you in this room know exactly what I'm talking about? I know. That's me. I've lived that. Okay. So if you have any sort of doubt about that, just ask the people around you that have even raised their hands, that have a testimony, and they'll gladly, gladly be able to tell you the mistakes that they made and why. So this is a very important picture. Your relationship with God is the most important. Once that is established, then all your other relationships will be correct. And then we talked about this one. Anybody? Figure this one out yet? I know we've explained it several times. I'm not sure if it's really gotten through. It's been very, very difficult. Um, I don't know. What's that? I know. It's like you have to be a a nuclear physicist in order to figure this one out. Uh, The Olympics? No, it has nothing to do with the Olympics. All right, Jack, go ahead. Are you asking me to explain or point something out that nobody else has thought of? Okay, anybody else? Anybody else? (laughs) No, go ahead, Jack. Go ahead. There's two diamond shapes, and then there's a band for the marriage. Wait a second. 
Yeah, because you can get out of dating and engagement, you know, if you're dating somebody you or engaged to somebody that you're really not supposed <laughs> sure. to engage with or dating. There you go. You really so get you out can there. get out of that. But when you're married, you have to date and Yeah, it's an unbroken circle. There you go. Okay, all right, all right. Who else wants to add to that? I was thinking of the more oblivious one, Timmy. Dating leads to engagement, which then leads to marriage. That is correct. Now, can you say that one more time in plain English so that way everybody else can understand? Dating, go to engagement, go to marriage. Okay, all right. Bad grammar, but it's okay. All right, so now this is, this is a concept that very few people actually have, practically speaking, because when they're dating, they're not thinking about engagement. They're not thinking about marriage. They're not thinking about those things at all. They're thinking about having a good time. They're thinking about how that person makes them feel. They're thinking about lustful desires. They're thinking about all sorts of things, except for the fact that this could end up leading to marriage, so you better be careful. So that's a very important concept that we've talked about several times over. And then we talked about the world's way and God's way. It's complete opposite. The world's way, it's always physical first, and then emotional, and then if you get around to it, it's spiritual. You're attracted to people physically first. That's just the way that it is. But... That's not what it should be all about because God's way says it should be spiritual first. The spiritual is the most important part of a person. If that's not right, you have no business unifying your life with that person. And we're going to talk more about that because of the picture that the physical side uh, pictures biblically and, and from God's perspective and why he set it up that way. And then lastly, we talked about the emotional side. And th- those are the things that, uh, that you have in common with them, the likes and the dislikes, the uh, the things that they, uh, that they enjoy doing with hobbies or, or whatever, their personality traits, all those sorts of things. We talked about that last week and how to prepare yourself uh, on that front to be in a dating relationship. And now this week we're going to cap it off by talking about the physical. And then next week when we get around to it, we're going to be talking about, okay, now that we know these things, how do you actually live it out? So now I'm, I, I would say at this point, after working through this, I've been honest and I'm saying, okay, I'm prepared to date now. How do you actually work those things out? And we're going to talk about that next Wednesday. So today we're going to talk about the physical, the physical side of the relationship. Uh, and so this will be dealing with the topic of sex and intimacy and, uh, and how God has reserved those things for marriage. And we're going to be talking about all that because sex or physical intimacy outside of marriage, the Bible defines under several different headings, one of which is fornication and among other things. Um, whoremonger, um, you know, there's adulterers, there's all sorts of other topics that God gives or other titles that God gives. But we're going to be talking about that and why God has talked about this realm within the marriage relationship and why he makes it as something that should be only experienced in the marriage relationship. Okay, so with that said, I wanted to bring this picture up before we get into 1 Corinthians 6 because I really want this to be the, the beginning of where we, where we talk about this. There's a lot of people, me included, growing up when I was your age, that had the idea of, well, you know, it's really all not that bad, or what can I get away with, or how far can I go with the person that I'm interested in, when that is really the wrong thing to be asking. That is the wrong thing to be asking. The thing you should not be asking is how close can I get, but really how far away should I be? And there's really not a clear-cut answer on that. I mean, God definitely has made the line when it comes to physical intimacy and any sort of sexual uh, conduct outside of the bounds of marriage is is strictly prohibited when it comes to you guys. And there's a reason for that. And we're going to talk about that and why. But there's a lot of us that when we're in a dating relationship, you know, is holding hands too much, is is cuddling too much, is kissing too much. 
I mean, I can't tell you exactly what those lines are. I can tell you in general terms what those are, at least among men, because I am one and the things that I've struggled with and the things that guys struggle with. But as far as specifically defining those things, I can't. That is in between you and God. And it would be wise for you to get counsel on some of those things. Very few guys have asked me uh, my opinion on what that would even end up being. But if you were to come to me, I would talk to you about those sorts of things. I would talk about my struggles and the things that I know for me, the things that I couldn't do. I know that I've made enough mistakes when it comes to this realm of things that I remember when Megan and I were dating, I told myself that I was not even going to tell her that I loved her until I knew 100% that I was going to ask her to marry me. I didn't even want to do that. I did not want to kiss her until I knew 100% that I was going to ask her to marry me. I didn't want to do that. Because I had been on the other side of things and I've made enough mistakes that I regret that now when I'm in a situation where I want to do things better than what I had done before, I knew the lines that I could not cross. And when you tell somebody that you love them, that's a pretty big deal. That's a really, really big deal, in my opinion, and biblically speaking. That's a huge commitment. That's something that when you speak, you really can't take back. When you kiss someone, that's a big deal. And that's not something that you can actually take back. And then let's say you guys are dating and realistically you may not get married for the next five, six years and you've already started saying that you love each other and you've already started kissing, you've already started doing that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, how much more are you going to go within five years? You know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying? You didn't give yourself a whole lot of room to be gracious with one another. You're not protecting one another. We're going to talk a lot about those things through the lesson that we're going to talk about tonight. So these are some things you have to think through. Based on the biblical principles outlined in scripture, you need to think through this. You need to pray through it. You need to talk about it. And it has to be objective. It cannot be anything to do with your feelings or emotions. Because if you trust your feelings and emotions, you're going to want to do things that are going to be a mistake. And you're going to end up in a situation that you're going to regret. Because one thing leads to another thing, leads to another thing, leads to another thing. And I think you know what I'm talking about. So you have to be wise. You've got to be wise if you want to protect yourself and if you want to do things the right way. Okay, so let's read this first sentence. We're going to work through the paragraph. There's a couple of verses in here that I want to read before getting into the points for tonight. Uh, But talking about the physical. So the Bible places a great importance on physical purity. A huge, huge importance on physical purity. 1 Corinthians 6. You guys should be turned there. 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, we're going to do verse 18, um, but I want to back it up just a little bit to a few of these verses so that way you can kind of see some of the verses that I've memorized for myself um, and just some of the things that I need to remember. And guys, these would be great verses. Verses 13 through 20 would be great verses for you guys to memorize, if not all of them, pieces and parts. But verse 13, okay, Paul says, meats for the belly and belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now, he's just talking about the fleshly body there. So he gives that example of food in your stomach. And eventually, God's going to destroy both of them. Now, the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. So right out of the gate, right there, what do you learn? Just on that verse alone. The body is not for fornication. Yeah, I know. I know. It's like... No way. Is that actually what that says? Yeah, that's what that says. Your body is not for fornication. Like the intention of your body and the design of your body and the design of physical intimacy with another person was not designed for fornication. So any temptation that you might have to fornicate or to even entertain fornication in your mind or adultery in your mind or any sexual intimacy outside of marriage in your mind, 
is really despicable. Like, it's, it's, it's a line you should not cross. But it's a line that we all have crossed, even if it's just in our thoughts, correct? Okay, so when it comes to that, you have to understand that your body was not made for fornication. What was your body made for? The Lord. So there's a whole lot of people that are trying to find their purpose in this life. Well, guess what their purpose is? The Lord. Their purpose is found in the Lord. That's it. I mean, if you want to believe the Bible, that truth alone will change, radically change your life and transform your life. Your body was formed by God, not for your own selfish pleasure, but for God's honor and glory. That concept should be one you should chew on for the rest of your life, and it will keep you straighter than an arrow. So right there, verse 13, awesome verse. Now, take a look at verse 15. Once you're born again, you are now in the body of Christ. And that might be a series that we're going to be doing next and talking about the body of Christ and some of the gifts that God has given each of us and how we know how to fit within the body of Christ. Verse 15, it says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Now look at this. Okay, if you're born again and you're a member of Christ's body, now look at this next question. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What's he asking there? Just work that out practically. Somebody. Timmy. So if you're taking yourself and you're supposed to be a person for God, then when you have sex outside of marriage, it means you're giving yourself from God to someone else. Yes. And even more than that, it says that your body is now a member of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and join them unto an harlot? Okay. So do you think Jesus would be sleeping around? Do you think he'd be messing around with other girls? You think he would be? Okay, so if the answer is clearly, uh, no, that's psychotic, which that is the answer. I'm pretty sure it's in the Bible somewhere. If that is the answer, and it is, then what are you doing? Because you are a member of Christ's body. So when you cross the line, you are making Christ cross the line. You ever thought about that one? That stops me in my tracks every time. Every time. And when I mess up in my thoughts or, or just things that I'm struggling with when it comes to this kind of stuff, generally, I'm not thinking about that. I'm not. I'm thinking about me, what I want, what I'm feeling, what I desire. But then when I read the scripture and I go back here, it convicts me like no other. Because I just made Christ participate in this act or this thought. I dare not do that. Why, would, why in the world would I do something like that? And see, this is why God creates a a, a huge, huge level of of responsibility and and a great level of importance upon physical purity. And then take a look at verse 18 through 20. This is why Paul says here, flee fornication. Don't even entertain it. Run from it. Flee from it. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So not only is your body, it belongs to God, and you're supposed to glorify God in your body, but you're also supposed to glorify God in your spirit, too. That's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately when I've gone back over these verses, because sometimes... Yeah, we may not defile our body per se, but when it comes to your inner man, 
your thought life, your attitude, the different things that you might struggle with mentally and vain imaginations. It's part of your spirit. And God commands us, even based on that, that your attitude, just your attitude alone, should be that that glorifies God because it belongs to God. So your body and your spirit both belong to God. And they are for his honor and for his glory and for his pleasure, not our own. So these are some great verses just to get us started in all this. So God places a great importance upon physical purity. All right, let's keep going in this paragraph. It is not only a sin against God that defiles the picture of the gospel that he desires to display through your life, but it is a sin against your body that was made in the image of God. So you're not just sinning against Christ and his body, but you're sinning against your own body that God made in his own image. When it comes to dating, always remember, if they are not concerned about protecting your purity, they do not care about protecting their own. And they are definitely not concerned about what the Lord thinks. This is a very great thought for you to think about because I've been in this situation. I've been in a situation where I was in a relationship with a girl and she was not very concerned about protecting my own purity. And that alone should have been the deciding factor that I needed to get away from this girl. That should have been it because she was not concerned about it. And so if she's not concerned about protecting mine, she most certainly is not concerned about protecting hers. And if she's not concerned about protecting mine or hers, she doesn't even care about God at all, at all. So that's something you really need to think about and really take to heart. Okay, so based on that, let's get into some of these points and let's talk about how this would work out. All right, so the first point here, first check mark. Do I understand the importance of being sexually pure? Do I understand the importance of being sexually pure? Now, the first thing I want to talk about, and it's one of your verses here, is 1 Corinthians 6.17. I skipped over that one because this one's a really, really good one. When you become born again, you are joined unto the Lord. Verse 17, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. When you receive Christ as your Savior and the Spirit of God moves inside of you, you are now permanently united with God. And this is why in the marriage relationship, we're going to take a look at this in Ephesians chapter 5, where God says that a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined into his wife, and they two shall become one flesh. So the way that God has designed this back from Genesis chapter 2 with Adam and Eve, Jesus repeats it in the Gospels again when the issues of divorce came up. And then he even says it here in Ephesians chapter 5, and he repeats these other principles in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that when a man, which is a picture of Jesus Christ, and a woman, who's a picture of the church, when they are married together in the holy union of marriage, they too become one flesh in the sight of God. And that's why back in Genesis chapter 5, it says it very clear in the first few verses of Genesis chapter 5, that when, when God looked at Adam and Eve, it said he called their name Adam. Because he didn't see them as Adam and Eve, he saw them as Adam. They're one and the same. They're now in this union of marriage where they now are per- permanently intertwined together in this union where the two become one flesh. And so that is the picture of salvation. When you receive Christ as your Savior, the Spirit of God moves in, and your dead spirit is now permanently united with God's Spirit, and now you are one spirit with God. And this is also a great principle when it comes to why you can't lose your salvation. Once you're born again, you cannot be unborn again. Because when God's Spirit permanently unites with your spirit, you can't take that away. In God's economy... um, I'll just show you this real quick because we haven't used a whiteboard in a while. Let's hope this one still works. All right. So, one plus one equals one. One. All right. So, in God's economy, the husband, the wife, 
becomes one flesh. God's spirit, your spirit, becomes one spirit. So that's why God hates divorce. And it is like an option that can't even be on the table. And if divorce happens, let it be because of the other person and not you. Because God says, you can't take one and go backward. Once you've united one person with another and made another person where this is now one flesh, you can't go backwards and divide that again. It doesn't work. And that's the intention. That's the way it was always supposed to be. And so that's why God has laid it out like this. And so this is also why he's reserved the physical union of two bodies together in physical intimacy for marriage. Because when you take that husband and that wife and now they are married together, the physical intimacy that they have after their marriage is the same picture. And so you should understand that when you take two people and they have sex together, it now does something in their relationship together that changes them forever. It does. It, it literally, because this is how God designed it. It changes them. It changes. There's now a part of them that is now permanently united with that other person. And you can't undo that. Like You can't just go back from that. And so this is something that's so important that I hope you guys really, really get because it ties right in with the picture of the gospel and it ties right in really against everything the world is telling you to do. And so this is why God has said in several places in the scripture about how this is so critically important. Take a look at Hebrews 13.4. Hebrews 13.4. We'll take a look at this one and then I want to see Ephesians 5 just to show you that picture. And then we'll move on to the next point. Hebrews 13. All right, so Paul is finishing out the book of Hebrews here, and he is just adding in a few uh, basically subsequent topics through here, and he's kind of piecing them all together. Um, and then he throws this in in verse 4. He says, marriage is honorable in all. So in a culture today where everyone is kind of dissing marriage, and a lot of people are saying, well, I'm just going to live with someone. I'm not going to get married to them. That goes completely against what God has laid out. He says, no, marriage is honorable. Marriage is honorable. It's not something that takes away from the other person. It's actually a huge blessing when you do it God's way. So marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. So right there you have marriage and the marriage bed and how they are united together as one thing. So the marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. And so you've got to understand that's how God looks at it. And that's why he said in verse 5, let your conversation or your lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So right there, God even intertwines himself again in this picture of marriage and physical intimacy with your spiritual walk. So they are very, very tightly connected together. And so there's a good chance that if someone has a, uh, if they're struggling physically, it's because they're already struggling spiritually. There's something awry in their heart spiritually that leads to struggles physically. And that's why in marriage relationships, long before they actually get a divorce, there is something that happened earlier on spiritually in their relationship where there was no connection or they end up breaking apart. So these things are very tightly connected. So don't be fooled by that. You can't go sleep around and expect to have a really good marriage one day. Like That's not how things work. God said, no, it's spiritual first. Then the emotional get to know one another and save the physical stuff for last. That is for marriage. 
That is for marriage. And if you go ahead and jump the boat, jump the gun a little bit, and you start crossing some of those lines ahead of time, you're going to end up with a world of regret. A world of regret. You are. Okay, go to Ephesians chapter 5. Just to see this picture again, to reinforce what we've already talked about. Ephesians chapter 5, about how God really lays this out between the husband and the wife. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians chapter 5. All right, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. So right out of the gate, he says, wives, husbands, as unto the Lord, and then he correlates that back to Christ being the head of the church. And this is why in verse 25, it says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And so when you study Christ and the sacrifice that he made on the cross, guys, this is a great picture of how you ought to love, truly love, biblically love that person that, you're in, that you want to marry. That's how it's supposed to work out. How did Christ love the church? Anybody? How did he love it? There's two big words that we tend to be using if you've been around any, any length of time. Yeah. Yes, that's the first one. Unconditionally. Without any conditions. He does not love... The church, because of what the church will add to him. Infinitely. Uh, well, yes, that's part of unconditionally. Yes. Sacrificially. Yes, sacrificially. That's the other one. An adult stole it. Sorry. <laughs> All right. So unconditionally, without any conditions, not because of any benefit that that person adds to you. And then secondly, sacrificially, at a great sacrifice to himself. What did Christ do that proved the great sacrifice that he made for the church? You think he died? I'm pretty sure he died. Yes, he died. He died on the cross, but he didn't just die. He bore the weight of the sin of the entire world on his shoulders in the process. So this is why the husband is called to be the leader of the home. There is a lot laying on his shoulders. He is supposed to love his wife unconditionally. Unconditionally. That means no matter what she does, no matter what she says, no matter how she acts, no matter what she does to ridicule or put you down or, or add any benefit to your life, whatever it is, he is called to love her. Now, tell me, how easy is it to love someone that really despises you? Not so easy. How easy is it to love someone that irritates you? Not easy. Yeah. How easy is it to love someone that it's, you just be, you get very impatient with them? Not easy. <laughs> Not easy. Okay. When I think about my life, let me just give you a picture on this. When I think about my life and I think about Jesus Christ, he has put up with so much of me. Like if I'm just going to be honest with him, my savior, and I think about all the nonsense, the things that I struggle with, the sin issues that I that I, I, I end up wrestling with on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, when I think about the opportunities that I've passed up to honor him or to glorify him or to evangelize or to invite someone to church, when I think about times where I've chosen myself and what I wanted over what he wanted, when I think about just all the things that I have done, he has been so, so patient with me. I mean, so loving, so kind, so patient. I mean, to the point where I'm like, really? Like, why would he love me? Like, he's the God of all creation. He's the God of the universe. He, 
He made everything, and he's perfect, and I am nothing even close to perfect, and yet he has chosen to put his love upon me and to want a relationship with me. Why? Unconditionally. There's no conditions. This is why you can't earn your salvation. You can't, because God has just given it to you freely, because he just loves you. No matter who you are, no matter what you struggle with, no matter how insecure you are, no matter what your sin issues might be, no matter what your past baggage is, no matter the mistakes you're going to make in the future, he knows it all and he still accepts you and he still loves you. And that's how we are called to love each other. And that is how husbands have been called to love their wives. See, that's completely different from the world, from the world's perspective. Completely different. The moment you betray the other person, I mean, it's on. Right? Have you seen that at school? I've seen that when I was going to high school and middle school. That's all I saw. Drama, 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 drama. Because this person said something like this and it made her upset. And I'm like, oh my word. And yet, Christ is like the least dramatic person. And I'm so thankful that he puts up with my nonsense. And then he loves us sacrificially. To think about the sacrifice that Christ made to actually love me, I mean, it is unfathomable. Like, I already can't fathom an almighty, infinite God with no beginning and no end, who can be at all places at once, has all power, all knowledge, all understanding, who is outside of time because he created it, and he knows everything all in an instant, that he himself would confine himself to a human form and walk 33 years upon this earth, dealing with all the crap that people throw at him. I mean, and just thinking about just the crucifixion alone, people mocking him, spitting on him, hitting him, making fun of him, while he's hanging on the cross saying, oh, if you're really God, why don't you just come down from that cross and save yourself? Are you kidding? And yet, what did he say on the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They have no idea what they're doing. So at a great sacrifice to himself, as an expression of love towards us, he gave everything and he sacrificed everything. And the greatest of these, and I I love thinking about this kind of stuff because it just boggles my mind. I can't wait to talk about it. I'm going to be doing JBI here really soon. We're going to be going through systematic theology and I can't wait to talk about it. But the big one for me is that God, so God is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're in perfect unity, perfect fellowship, from before time was even created, I mean, your mind will explode if you start thinking about it, but before time was even created, he was in perfect union from eternity past. So that means millions and billions and quadrillions of years before he even thought about creating time, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were in perfect fellowship and perfect union. And eternity future, they will be in perfect unison, perfect fellowship, of one mind, one accord for the rest of eternity. But there was one moment, one moment, one moment in time where that fellowship was broken. And that's when Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and mine, where the Bible talks about that God the Father literally turned away from the Son. Can you even imagine that? Like God, who's in perfect fellowship with himself, sacrificed his eternal fellowship with himself in order to die for you. You're stinking valuable. That he would sacrifice that? I mean, there are students, and they're crazy, 
that have perfect attendance. And they come to school, right? And they do, they're sick. Because what do they want? They want that perfect attendance. Well, think about the perfect attendance. <laughs> think about that perfect attendance, perfect fellowship that God has had with himself from eternity past into eternity future. And he was willing to sacrifice that because he loved you. Knowing full well that you may never accept it, that you might still go to hell anyway because you didn't choose to receive his son as payment for your sin, he went and he did it anyway because he loved you and he cared about you that much. That is unbelievable. And so I think about this picture of physical intimacy and I think about Jesus Christ and I think about the church and I think about the gospel and how he's the author of the gospel and what it took to author the gospel and, and all this stuff. And all of this is, is a huge, huge, huge influence on your concept of sexual purity. Who would have known? I mean, did you ever think for a moment that your concept of sexual purity was centered on the gospel? <laughs> Most people don't. I mean, most people don't. They just don't. They're like, oh, yeah, Christians will stay pure. Blah, 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 blah. But they have no idea why. Why? This is why. Because of what Christ purchased for you on your behalf. And the picture that you're supposed to display to the world. How can you show the world the gospel in your future marriage if you don't understand this concept? Because there's a lot of people that go about this completely backwards. They start sleeping together. They start getting into a relationship and then like, oh, oh, we shouldn't be doing this. And then they're like, okay, oh, well, let's get right. Let's get right. And they'll be, okay, you can do that and things can work out great. They can work out just great. But how much better would it be to start off on the right foot and to progress on the right foot all the way until you get married and you actually do it the way that God intended it to be without any baggage in that relationship? And deep down, I think that's what we all really desire. Deep down, I think we all do because God put it there. I think God put it there. So God has given this picture of marriage in Ephesians chapter 5 as the importance of being sexually pure, giving us that picture so we can see how the gospel works out in this aspect of our life. Okay, so when it comes to that, just think about it. Think about your own life. Think about how you conduct yourself. Purity is so important. If you're currently dating with somebody, your purity with that person is of utmost importance. If you've not made it important, it now needs to be. It now needs to be, and you are now without excuse. You've got to make it top priority. If you're single, you better make sure that you keep yourself pure. And that's the next point. Am I keeping myself pure? So if you want to get yourself ready to date someone and to do it the right way, and if you want to be ready on the physical front, you need to first understand the importance of being sexually pure, and you need to understand, second, am I keeping myself pure? So how this actually works out in your life? Well, it happens in two different ways. First of all, it happens in your deeds, and it happens in your thoughts. And here's the reality, and this is the kind of the thing between them. Your thoughts become your actions. Your thoughts will become your deeds. So you better be careful with your thoughts. You've got to be careful. You have no room in your mind to be thinking improper thoughts. And you need to be careful then about the things that affect your thoughts. So you should be careful about the things that you're watching, the things that you're listening to, the things that you watch other people doing. You've got to be careful. You've got to know your limits. You've got to know your limits. And each person's limit is different with different things. There are some guys who don't struggle with lust and stuff like that. I don't understand them. I think they're crazy. I think they speak a foreign language. I actually think they're aliens. I don't understand that. But there are some guys that are out there that just don't struggle with those things. 
So they have different lines that they have to understand. There's my line. I can't go past that. There's some ladies that really, really struggle with sexual purity. And a lot of guys don't necessarily think that they do, but they do. And there are some girls that really, really struggle with that. So you've got to know your limits. You have to. You can't pretend they don't exist. And you cannot pretend that you can handle it. You can't. You can't. I'm, I'm just, I'm telling you from my experience, from my own mistakes, from the things that I've learned, you can't handle it. And you can't deal with it alone. You can't. Your thoughts will become your deeds. Don't fool yourself. What you do behind closed doors will eventually come out in one way or another. And so if you've struggled with sexual purity behind closed doors, whether it's in front of a computer or the things you're watching or the movies that you go to or the music that you listen to or just the thoughts that you have in your mind, what makes you think that now you're going to get into a relationship with another person and now you're not going to struggle? (laughs) You crazy. You are because now you have an object through which you are going to struggle. And you're going to use and abuse them for your own selfish gain. And it's not right. So you have to look at this. Am I keeping myself pure? Are you keeping yourself pure in your deeds? Um, go back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Give me uh, one more reader. Someone go to 1 Thessalonians 5.22. Noah, you got that one? And then, um, uh, yeah, we'll look at the other ones. We need to look at these ones. These ones are good ones. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So we just touched 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And then he goes right into chapter 7. After talking about how you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now, concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. And then it continues on from there. So, just based on this alone, and this is not a very popular chapter, People that are in a dating relationship where they want to mess around, they don't really go to these verses to prove that they actually can, because it says right there, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Men overall are very physical creatures. And so, you know, when it comes to anything like that, you know, for me, I remember the first time that I held a girl's hand. And it was like, man, that was like unbelievable. Like it was just incredible. But then you know what happens over time? Holding hands just isn't enough. It doesn't do the same thing. And so then you're tempted to go another step. And then you're tempted to go another step. You're tempted to go another step. And so Paul says very clearly, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. So whatever that means for you, you have to understand that that's what God has said. However he convicts you on that front, you've got to be careful. Some people can handle that and everything is good and fine. Other people can't. You have to really know that. And if you're in a dating relationship with somebody else, you better talk about these things with them too. Because just because you're okay with it doesn't mean that they are. And so make sure that you're not violating their conscience and their walk with God just because you're okay with it. Don't talk them into it. How dare you talk them into it? You should respect their boundaries and they should respect yours. You should be able to do that. And then look at verse two. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. See, how God has designed this, he knows that sex is enjoyable. He created it. He designed it, and it's supposed to be enjoyable. But here he says to avoid fornication. So one of the benefits of marriage, now he's talking to a church that's very, very carnal, very fleshly, and they're not thinking straight on a lot of things, but this is how he puts it. You know what? To avoid fornication, let every man have a wife, every wife have a husband. Okay? That's how you're going to, because in a marriage relationship, 
the physical intimacy of the husband and wife will dramatically, dramatically decrease and almost eliminate sexual fornication in thoughts and deeds outside of it when it's done properly. And that's how God has designed it. And so that's what the Bible says, and we need to believe what the Bible says. So that's also another reason why God has kept it there and talked about physical intimacy being reserved for marriage. Now listen to 1 Thessalonians 5.22. This one's a very, very clear one. Again, doesn't take a, a master's degree to understand this one. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Okay, there we go. I like that one. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Okay, real simple. Give me your own definition in your own words about that verse. Well, you've already spoken enough. Let's get somebody else. Who wants it? Okay, go ahead. So, in health class, they say abstinence, and it just means don't do it. Right. Yeah. Okay, so abstain. Don't do it. Don't do what? It. <laughs> don't do drugs. <laughs> don't be an idiot. There's another one. All right. What else we got? That wasn't directed towards you. Don't worry about it. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> yeah. The MCS Bible class version was um, avoid Call of Duty in Minecraft. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Once again, that goes back to uh, abstain from being an idiot. <laughs> I like that one. We're gonna we're gonna add that one. I like that one. Yeah. Good. Stay away from anything that even looks sketchy. Yeah. Yeah. If it looks sketchy. Get out. <laughs> all right. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Okay, so just simply ask yourself this question. Does it look bad? And if the answer is yes, don't do it. Very good. Health class, you learned something. I'm proud of you. Good job. Don't do it. Okay, but if it doesn't look bad and everything is okay with it, then... Wait, sure. just don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> then do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. You're getting confused. <laughs> so you need, to, you need to think through this. You need to think through this. Like, how is this going to be perceived by other people? Is this something that's actually going to look evil? Because if it looks evil, then I shouldn't be doing it. Like, a question you should be asking with whatever you're doing. Like, let's say you're going to go see a movie, or let's say you're going to go out on a date, or let's say you're going to be alone with your boyfriend or girlfriend at home and you're at your house or their house or whatever and you end up watching a movie together. Okay, if Jesus Christ showed up at that moment, would you be embarrassed? Kind of lonely. <laughs> okay, so if your answer to that is, yes, I would be embarrassed, well, then you shouldn't be doing it. And this is where you have to be objective and remove the emotions out of the equation. Because if you let your emotions override your actual, you know, the facts behind the circumstance, then you're going to get yourself in a huge, huge, huge load of trouble. All right, so that's with your deeds. And then in your thoughts. We don't have time to look up these verses, but these are great ones. Job 31.1, that says, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? So he says very specifically, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think Upon a maid. See? The thoughts and your deeds are all connected. So that was Job. He wanted to stay pure in his walk with God, and that's what he did. Psalm 1013. I love this one. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Oh, man, that one's a convicting one. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. You need to be careful about the things that you let into your brain because your thoughts will eventually become your actions. All right, next point. Am I daily mortifying the deeds of my flesh? Now, this is very, very simple. You can look up some of these verses a little bit later. Colossians 3 is a really, really good one, 3, 5, and 6. 
but am I daily mortifying? So to mortify means to murder, to kill, right? If you take Spanish, morir is the verb, to be dead. Okay, so when you think about that, to mortify the deeds of your flesh, let me ask you this question. How many times do you feel the internal desire to go and to do something, whatever it is? It could be a certain food. It could be a certain uh, activity. It could be a certain whatever it is, whatever it might be, that you, you feel this internal desire to go and do that. How many of you have actually said, no, I'm not going to do that? Because I think most of us do not follow that pattern. I think whatever we feel, we end up just doing. Whatever we desire, that's what we do. And the Bible says to mortify the deeds of your flesh. A lot of us let our flesh lead our lives. And you have to get into the pattern of self-discipline and actually saying no to certain things that your flesh desires. If you don't, then your flesh is going to rule you and you are going to be a carnal Christian that fails in the mission that God has given you. So you have to daily mortify the deeds of your flesh. And you've got to understand that everyone is susceptible to sin. There's no exceptions to it. Like if you think for a moment that that person would never, I'm telling you, it's not true. It's not true. We are all capable of doing anything at any point in time. So that's very important that we end up getting into that pattern. All right, the next point. This one's a really, really good one. Give me a couple of readers for this one. Proverbs 27, 6, Haley, and Revelation 3, 19. Go ahead, Sam. All right, so am I surrounded by faithful believers that keep me accountable? So am I surrounded by friends, close friends, that I can talk to about these things? Because these things are not easy to talk about. They're just not. Like, for the most of the class, many of you have probably been very, very uncomfortable with me even talking about these things. Am I right? I'm actually quite comfortable talking to them, but, you know, I'm, I'm okay with it. But I've also done this several times, and so I'm actually, you know, gotten kind of used to it. But this is something that's just not easy to talk about. It's embarrassing, especially with the struggles that we have. But I'm here to tell you that you might feel very, very isolated and alone in your struggle with these sorts of things, but you are dead wrong. You are dead wrong. In some way, shape, or form, we all struggle with this stuff. Our flesh takes advantage of our pride and tries to get us to close up and to not talk about these things with anybody because we feel like we're the only ones that struggle with this, and we're not. We're not. And if you doubt me on that one, just come to one of our camps, and as we sit and we talk about our life, you'll find out very, very quickly that we all struggle with very similar things. It might work its way out a little bit different, but we all struggle with the core issue of the same things in our life. So do you have people in your life that will help keep you accountable? Proverbs 27, 6. Who has that one? Go ahead. Yeah. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So your true friends will faithfully wound you. They will. And that can be very, very difficult because we don't like to be wounded, but sometimes we need to be wounded in order to be saved. In Revelation three nineteen. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Okay. God defines his love as rebuke and chastening. Now, he does it in love, but we don't like to be rebuked. We don't like to be chastened. We don't like to be wounded. But the truth is that your true friends that love you, like Christ will, they will wound you in order to save you. They will. And so if your friend happens to come to you um, and they might upset you by the things that they talk about, just remember they're trying to save you. And that can help you kind of take some of that and really consider what they have to say. So you should have people in your life. If you don't have people in your life that you can actually talk to about these things, you need to get them. You need to get those people. And sometimes they can be hard to find, um, but you need to find someone that you can talk to about this stuff. And then lastly, so based on all that, are you then attracted to someone that 
understands the importance of being sexually pure, that they are keeping themselves pure, that they're mortifying the deeds of the body as a daily pattern, and they are surrounded by faithful believers that keep them accountable. You need to think about that. You should not be attracted to someone who doesn't get this stuff. You shouldn't be because they're not. It's already hard enough alone. Once you add another sinner into the mix, it makes it even more difficult. So you need to find someone that has the same mindset, the same biblical mindset as you. All right. So that's that. Whew. That one's over. The yearly sex talk is over for now. Okay. All right. Any questions at all? Anything? Or would you rather keep it private? <laughs> All right. Somebody, I know. Somebody pray, and then we'll get out of here. And if you have any questions about this, please don't hesitate to let us know or to talk to any one of us about it. Are we going to have a competition? <laughs> All right. All right, no, go ahead. Dear Holy Father, uh, just want to thank this day, Lord. Uh, thank you that we are able to come to church and learn about you, even when the topic or, or the message is just uh, an uncomfortable one, Lord, and one that pricks a lot of hearts in here and uh, just convicts us. I just help us to not hide those convictions, Lord. Um, I know from past experience I've done that, and uh, it just leads to more and more sin, to more and more trouble, Lord. So I just help everybody in here that um, if they're struggling with something, whether it's sexual sins or if it's just something else, Lord, just lying and disobeying their parents, that they would just um, consult uh, the leaders, other senior hires, Lord, that um, they would just get into their word and pray to you, Lord, and just turn from their sin and repent. Um, I just want to ask you, please help the rest of the day go well. Please help us to finish this school week out strong, and uh, that if you give us an opportunity, Lord, that we're able to capitalize on it, and we're able to shine our light to that person. Amen. Amen. All right, tomorrow morning, if you go to Jackson, FCA is happening tomorrow morning. I'm speaking to that. And then uh, you have your typical Friday Bible club, right? There's a bunch of us going to DQ. If people want to. 7-10. Yep. Yeah.